Hey, Jonathan here with a quick uh, legal disclaimer, you know, just in case. Most of what we say on this show is done with an air of levity and sarcasm, but from time to time we will express opinions, thoughts, ideas, and even the occasional advice with genuine conviction. However, we do not recommend you follow through with anything said on this show. We're not experts and we're not your pastors. We want all of our listeners to be well informed uh, and make their own decisions. So, any decision you make should be done with the utmost discretion and discernment, giving your current circumstances, your own personal convictions, and your own interpretation of Scripture. With that being said, sit back and enjoy the show. And three, two, one. Hello and welcome to the Borderline Heretics podcast. I'm Jonathan. I'm Thomas. Rob. Yeah, joining us via Zoom, the wonders of technology. Uh, So we're continuing our discussion on the seven deadly sins, or rather the the seven cardinal vices, as as we like to refer them to. Uh, Last Last episode, we really explored what that meant, what a cardinal vice is, and why is it more appropriate to call them uh, cardinal vices? Why is it appropriate to use that word cardinal, and why is it appropriate to use the word vice? I think we also use the word capital instead of cardinal. Both are kind of interchangeable. And so if you're confused on that terminology, obviously we're going to be kind of going back and forth, and we'll probably call it the deadly sins because that's just catchier anyways. I mean, why not? But um, if you're confused about that terminology or why, why we're discussing things like that, uh, go back to the last episode where we discussed envy. We kind of really explored that, that terminology at the beginning of that episode. And we also just explored the history of these seven deadly sins in the episode before that. Um, and so if you're confused about any of that terminology, you want some more clarification, go back to those episodes and be sure to, to give those a listen. Uh, but today, our box of vices uh, gave us the vice of sloth. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. And Rob, um, just a minute ago when we were doing some pre-prep, uh, you were talking about a sermon illustration that you used. Um, and that's very, uh, very applicable to the situations that are going on in the world today. So do you mind uh, just filling us, filling our audience in on that? Um, yeah. Sure. Sure. Uh, well, the sermon I gave was on Matthew 25, uh, 14 through 30, and uh, the parable of the three talents. And so this boss goes on a, on a journey, leaves his entire estate to uh, these three servants of his. And, uh, you, know, you know how it goes. First guy's given five, he doubles it, makes ten. Second guy's given two, makes doubles it, makes four. And then the third guy goes, buries it all in the ground and just sits on it. And when the master comes back, the first two guys get called, oh, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. And the uh, third servant comes to him and just starts launching all of these accusations at him. Well, you're a hard man. You, you know, uh, reap where you don't sow. You gather where you don't plant. Basically accuses him of uh, making his fortune off the backs of other people. (laughs) 
<laughs> and calling him a liar and a cheat. And then he uh, gives an excuse. Well, I was scared of you because you're such a terrible man. So I had your money in the ground. Here's your money back. I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> And essentially just hands him back what he had, and he calls him lazy and lit wicked. Uh, you are evil. You are lazy. You had absolutely you did you didn't even do the minimal of walking down to the bank and putting it in that to so it could gain interest. Mm. And so he says, you are just so lazy, and you're trying to cover up for your own laziness. Uh, you have no excuse. And and you know I used that. And so one of the things that I, I brought up is uh, that this is essentially, uh, we have, of course, Ukraine is being invaded right now and has been being invaded for a few days now. Mm. And uh, the rest of the world, we're, we're just left here watching all of this happen. And, you know, almost as if it, it's almost as if we're watching television going, Oh, you know, wonder what's going to be, uh, what the, what those, you know, it's reality TV, what those call crazy real you know, life. call of duty in real life. Let's just watch. And it, I mean, it breaks my heart cause I want to do something mm -hmm. and the rest of the world is just watching this happen. And if that's not lazy, I don't know what is, uh, my, I use the illustration, I'm guess from my wife, my lovely wife. Hello. Uh, that it's like a bunch of frat guys seeing a guy getting beat up in the alley and saying, oh, that's not one of ours, and let's just keep walking. Yeah. And so in that essence, it, are, are, are you being lazy? Are you refusing to do good? Uh, because right now we're just watching the Ukraine, you know, Ukraine get beat up, and we're just watching. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very so, disheartening. Yeah, it's upsetting, yeah. Uh, and they're they're pulling out one heck of a fight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, yeah, so it's it's we can see this, and I don't I don't know if anybody would call it sloth, and that's the that's the crazy thing. I don't know if anybody would make that connection, um, but it it there is a tie to this vice of, of sloth. Um, and we're seeing it today. Well, just, just to put it frankly, when you bring it up, then it would dawn on people if, if they understood what you meant by sloth, because we have video of their first attack taking down the airport. Mm. It's not like they just walked in and, you know, safely took in everybody into custody and all they did was hold them at gunpoint that's different. They straight up bombed. You can yeah. see the rockets coming in. Straight up bombed the airport. They didn't come in peacefully. It was guns blazing, no regard for anybody. It was 10 civilians dead. Last I saw, 10 civilians dead, 40 um, uh, military individuals dead from that one attack. Of the, one of the most upsetting things I saw is a guy get bombed off a bicycle. Mm-hmm. They bombed a guy who was riding a bicycle. But it's, it's, it's for that to happen and everyone to sit there and be like, we, we need to talk about this. We, we need some diplomacy here. We need to figure this out. We can't rush into things. You know, things might get bad. Can't rush in, into things? <laughs> it's, 
Sorry. How can sorry. things get worse? Hey, it's it's important to find humor and levity in, in tough situations. I appreciate the joke. Um, but you yeah. crazy. <laughs> but yeah, and and here's the thing, right? Like, I I've seen some really interesting takes on the situation, and and this isn't a a political podcast, so I'm not going to go into detail about. I mean, we can. I would love to have a discussion with you guys about this. Uh, at a later time, but it's it's not what we're borderline politics. <laughs> borderline politics. Hey, new wing. Three guys. Three guys that have absolutely no poli sci background. We're gonna talk about it. We're gonna figure it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, oh man, I lost it. Um, no, no, here he goes. So obviously, um, there's a, there's some interesting takes to be had. It, but the thing is, the time for discussion was before the time for action the the time to sort this all out has passed right things have gotten aggressive and lives are being lost um and when you see world leaders look at that and say not my problem uh it's going to be too difficult look you got to do something right when when nations are in this kind of a situation when civilians when innocents are in this when you have when you have elon musk an anonymous getting involved, <laughs> but not countries, not NATO. Who not, wants to? Yeah, yeah. That that's a little. I mean, that's a little telling about our our leaders. Um, yeah, but anyways, again, not a political show. We're here to talk about sloth, and so as we've already discussed, you know, a lot of people, unless you really pointed out, wouldn't see this as sloth. What's even crazier is a lot of people wouldn't see sloth as a vice. And we know that from from our reading and research that for the last hundred or so years, people have not seen sloth as an issue. Um, there was a quote uh, in, in the book that, that Thomas and I are going through, Glittering Vices, uh, by Rebecca DeYoung. Um, in that book, she mentions, a, she quotes a guy who said, if sloth was the original sin, we'd all still be in paradise. And that's funny. <laughs> that's that's it's funny because he misses so many points. But in a, in a way, sloth kind of was the original sin. Adam, who was there with his yep. wife, did nothing. So in a sense, sloth was the could be seen as an original sin or one of the original sins. Why why do we have this misunderstanding? Why do we have this? Uh, obviously, it's obvious to us, but let's let's discuss this. Why is there this misunderstanding about sloth? Why do we tend to glorify it so much? Um, it's comfortable. I would have to say if if we're just going off of today's today's thoughts, then um, I suppose you can call it Netflix and chill. It's it's the easiest thing. Um, it's it's the idea of the um, Reddit community who wants to argue for not having to go to work anymore. Or it's, um, that community has arguments saying that they won't go to work unless they get paid an exorbitant amount. Or there's several other arguments in there. It's this desire to be as energy-conserving as possible. And I suppose you could think of them, or they would think of themselves as Yoda-esque. 
mm. you know, save my energy I am kind of a thing. <laughs> is, uh, but you, you see these people and it's just like, well, you're not using your energy for anything, really. You just don't want to use any of your energy. You want to you wanna slump. You want to be a couch potato. And that's, I think, what most people view sloth as is relaxing and not stressing out and, you know, falling back. And they associate the opposite being uh, just doing a bunch of work and doing other things. But as we'll, we'll get into, that's kind of the other side of the coin with sloth is filling your time up completely. Mm. And that may sound contradictory, but we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction from an overworked culture. Mm. Is we, we, we worship productivity and advancement, progression. It's it's all about doing the next thing. What are you know you 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 got to be doing something. And when everyone burns out at the end of the day, they go, okay, well, I need to rest. And well, you pull put the exact same amount of effort into saying you're going to rest as you do into being overworked. And so it's I'm going to do this a thousand percent too. Just rest so hard, and you go you're missing the entire. I'm going to rest even harder now. <laughs> I mean, it's you, you lay awake at night going, sleep, dang it, sleep. <laughs> yeah. Why can't I go to sleep? I'm angry. Yeah. I'm really trying to rest. You're missing it. No. You don't understand rest. I think, but I knee-jerk think, reaction. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a lack of balance for sure. Um yeah, we have this culture that has valued industry, that has valued progress, that has valued productivity. Um, and then we we have these generational things uh, where we're going to try and work towards retirement. Um, David, in our Couch Confessions episode, was talking about that. Like, he's not looking forward to retirement. He doesn't want to retire. He wants to still be productive. But we've glorified that, like, Retire at, at 30, retire at 40, and then do what, <laughs> you know? Um, and so there's this glorification of just being free, being easy, um, because we don't know how to have balance. We can either overwork ourselves, and then we come back the other direction, like you were saying, just a knee-jerk reaction to, I'm just going to do nothing. Um, and we don't we don't hold it into, in, in, in its proper place. Um, and... and People, I think, don't see the harm in that, too, of what's what's the harm in just laying around? You're like, you're not hurting anybody, right? Like like anger, you know, I can see that, or wrath, uh, rather, I can see that. Okay, that's a bad vice. That's a bad sin. You know, you're, you're angry, you're aggressive at somebody. Uh, greed, you know, you're wanting to take something from somebody. Lust, right? I mean depending on the context, right? Some people glorify that too. But lust, you know, you're out cheating on people or you're out, you know, glorifying sex or, or you know, who knows what. And so these other uh, vices, we can see some of the the harm in it. But what's the harm in just being lazy? You know, who, who are you hurting by just doing nothing? Uh, so I think we have a, a gross misunderstanding of, of what sloth really is and the dangers that come uh, from it. But that doesn't hurt anybody. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Before we go any further, um, <laughs> any anyone who who has had an injury before, whether it's a broken bone or 
a meniscus or something. I'm sure there's there's more people today who have had those kinds of injuries with the heightened athletic fields that we have in the U.S. But um, you go in that cast or you go in that splint or you go into something, and what happens to your muscles and your tendons and your bones and stuff? Did well, you- the part that you know they fixed or that was broken and got put back into place, it heals. But what happens to everything else? Atrophies. Yeah. So, w- what are you doing when to to allow it to atrophy? You're not using it. Mm-hmm. So, what does it hurt? Well, you may not feel the pain. You may not feel like you're hurting yourself. But then you go to do the work that you need to get done for the day because there is legitimacy to if you don't plant food, if you don't go hunt for food, if whatever it is, if you don't do what you need to do to go and get something to eat, you don't eat. So there's some type of effort that is going to have to take place at some point in your life, even if it's just going to the grocery store and carrying your lazy self over to the car to go to the store. <laughs> what happens when you step out and you roll your ankle wrong and then all of a sudden you break your ankle and now you're laid up in bed again and you're all through that cycle? all over again, atrophied up again. And it's one thing to, you know, recover from a broken bone in your arm, but if you are recovering from a broken bone in your leg, that is way worse because that's your foundation, that's your base. Those are the things that help you to be able to get to where you need to go is your legs. And it's the same thing with us in our spiritual life with sloth. If we're allowing our spiritual our moral, our ability to understand right and wrong and to make correct actions, if we're going to be slothful, then we're going to atrophy our spiritual strength and we're going to break down whenever the next thing comes in front of us that we have to take care of. Yeah. So we can see it has some dangers to our own self, but going back to your story, Rob, in a world level, you know, it it's costing a lot of people lives it's it's mm-hmm. ripping a lot of families apart laziness slothfulness it, when you're not doing what you're supposed to do it can have a, an effect on on those who you're supposed to take care of um and in a grander scale with uh with the world and, and it and the the situations that are going on now i mean it it's costing a lot of people it's hurting a lot of people so. Yeah, you might eventually get around to it, but it's way too late by the time you get there, then there's what what was the point? Right. Exactly. Um so let's let's work at a proper definition of sloth. Um as we'll see, sloth is not merely laziness, Thomas, as you alluded to earlier. It's not merely laziness. So what is sloth? How can we understand this this vice better? So when Evagrius originally wrote The Eight Evil Thoughts, there was two ideas which um, were then joined together uh, when it got to Gregory that they were titled Acadia and Tristitia. Acadia is spiritual apathy. It is, it is a, not a declaring of there being no value in in spirituality but you not giving any care towards developing yourself in that area you you don't believe that it's worth your time 
to to do anything with that. You're apathetic to it. You recognize it, but you don't care. Then tristitia is a sense of sadness, despair, or depression. It is looking around you and seeing the bad things that are happening and that causing you to have a knee-jerk reaction of ho-hum and then you become Eeyore from Pooh, mm. Winnie the Pooh, and you just lay there and are content with mulling about your day until someone comes and moves you to the next spot. So this this idea of sloth is not as much of a lazy person as it is someone who um, is on one side or the other of the coin that they either care nothing for spiritual growth or spiritual value or they refuse to see the the value in spirituality because of the things that they see in the world yeah i I think that that idea of depression i think if we if we think of it in that sense we get a, a much deeper understanding of it and obviously you know there there's clinical depression there there's an actual mental illness of depression that's not what we're we're necessarily talking about it's 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 more spiritual you know it's it there's something other than so we're not we're not necessarily saying if you've got uh clinical you know depression if you've been you know medically to any this is what you have we're not saying you're you're an awful evil person held up by this vice um so don't hear what we're not saying by by the way, I just want to interject there that uh, there are certain things out there that uh, because our society is so obsessed with productivity and, and moving forward, uh, it may feel that if you actually sit down and take a break, you feel like you're being lazy because you're used to working and working and working. Uh, and, you know, it's long been, you know, I've long held to the fact that if you don't take a break, you will break. Mm. And sometimes when, when you do break, when you're forced to take a break because something isn't working, this lifestyle doesn't work out for you, uh, you're going to feel lazy because you you're don't have that balance down. And so if you're hurt, if you have a disorder, um, you know, it, I, I've been you know, <laughs> dealing with things like if you are a narcoleptic, you're just passing out in the middle of the day. Uh, don't, you know, you, we're not calling you lazy. You, you actually have a disorder. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know that you have something, you might get checked out. You know, if it's really, 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 really messing up your life, go get a diagnosis, check it out and say, is this just me or what's going on? And so sloth I see is something that you have actually, but it it is to a large extent willful it's not that you <laughs> just can't make it work it's not just this you know depressive state even though that would probably come on a, accompany it mm. uh, but it's something that is beyond that that is a little more intentional into how you have structured your life and your spiritual walk yeah it's a good word yeah so so yeah please do not you know hear what we are saying um and because this is something that could easily be taken as we're we're beating you up and we're not trying to there's something deeper here and i like that word you use willful uh what we talked about in that last episode vices are patterns of of life there are things that you have you have um 
whether thoughtfully or, or, or otherwise you have intentionally done, um, they have been practiced a part of your life. Uh, whether you've intentionally thought about, hey, I'm going to go be a sloth or not, you made decisions and it has become a pattern of your life. Um, so yeah, it, it's something deeper. It's something spiritual, uh, and it it's it's in a it might accompany those other things, um, but that vice itself is is something spiritual. So thank you for that that word. Um, one of the things that that with with sloth going back to that idea of depression, um, we know that for a lot of people who do suffer from actual clinically diagnosed depression is that there is a numbness um, to them about certain things in life, certain emotions, certain feelings. There's a, there's a numbness there. And when we, we look at it in a sense of a vice, um, there is a spiritual numbness. So there's a numbness to the prodding of God. There is a numbness to the, the joys of serving. There's a, uh, a numbness to uh, pain that's going on in the world. Right, you talk about there's a lack of love or a lack of care there, and when you are trapped in the vice of sloth, there's a numbness to the world around us. We should be grieving at the situations that are in the world. We should be grieving at the state of of lost souls around us. We should be grieving um, when when we see people who um, who are are disobeying God for their sake of their souls, we should be grieving and hungry to see them come to know who God is. Uh, we should be hungry to to become more and more like Christ. But when we are ridden with sloth, we are numb to these things, and we they don't affect us anymore. We, we just simply do not care about these things. Um, so that was one word that... that, that that's uh, that came across um, to me that that I really noticed a lot was just that idea of, of numbness. All right, so so we see this numbness, we see this apathy, um, we see uh, this resistance to the work that God has done, and it's a willing thing that we we practice. Um, I want to talk about this uh, a little bit too, and Thomas, you had alluded to it, but this. Um, so, so how does that how does that translate to these two ideas? One of laziness, and the other one that you alluded to of busyness. All right, I think it's pretty easy to see how it how it works into laziness when we have this sloth, um, this vice of sloth. But how does it translate itself into busyness if we're if we're numb to these things? How 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 does busyness fit in? That can't be right, right? Well, let me let me start with. Um <clears throat> talking about the the simple laziness first to be able to make sure I clarify the the two-sidedness of this um in the simple fact of there being a a a apathy towards doing anything a, a lack of 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 um desire to do things and you simply become a couch potato of sorts what you're saying is that there is no use in doing anything that my doing something has no value. Anything that I do is is pointless. Um, there's no need for me to do anything. And the other side of the coin, the opposite end, having busyness, 
you can be someone who suffers with sloth and be hyper successful. Um, you can think of professional athletes who are extremely gifted. Usually the ones who are the most successful both have discipline, commitment, and talent. That's often what we see from the top of the top in any kind of area outside of sports as well. But there are many people who ride the coattails of natural ability and they're in, say, high school and they're in a small tri-state area and they beat everybody in their whole area because they naturally just have abilities. And so because of their natural dominance in that field, they get recruited to a much higher level than what they probably would have been good for. And as a result, they end up playing in a field where they are not able to compete because they have no desire to become better. They just enjoyed being better. They enjoyed the natural gift that they had, and they don't care to do the work that would be necessary to improve for that. As a result, they would end up getting cut from the team because they don't make uh, workouts on time. When they do go to workouts, they do it halfway. They don't care. Uh, they they don't study film, they don't do anything, and as a result, they end up not being there. Um, but even with those who are hyper-successful, when you fill your time slot with everything possible to be able to keep you preoccupied, you think, think of those people who, who um, always have earbuds in. They have to listen to something. They can't have a moment of, of quiet. Uh, they have to be doing something. They can't sit still. They can't do anything. Um, those people are, in a different way, they're avoiding doing anything that has to do with productivity. They're keeping busy. So I can be busy, quote-unquote. I can be playing Fallout 4 all day, every day. I remember days where I've I've just sat in front of the TV and watched things all day. Granted, I was resting for most of it, but didn't need to spend as much time as I did, quote-unquote, resting. And so... I, as a result, I exceeded the time that was valuable for resting, and then I wasted and threw away the time that I had that would have been productive for whatever other things were available to me at the time. So whether you're simply refusing to do things or you're choosing to do all of these other things to fill up your time so then you can say, oh, I don't have time for church. Oh, I don't have time for small group. Oh, I don't have time to, to talk about anything spiritual. I don't have time to think about anything philosophical. I I can't be bothered with, with anything except for my job, with my hobbies, with whatever. It, I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm too busy. When in actuality, you're just slothful in a different way. You just enjoy the things that you fill your time with, whereas you're apathetic to the things that you don't want to do like spiritual um, and, and um, godly things. Yeah. So it's less of a physical sloth and more of a spiritual sloth. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think a lot of people's reasoning that sloth is a physical thing is because of um, post-industrial um, uh, development age. Uh, we, I thought that we, was the movie Seven. <laughs> we sloth. Ugh. 
Yeah, they, I mean, they did. Yeah. They did a lot to depict sloth in the way they did. Um, but I think that came out of the Industrial Revolution as well. Is that that? But that just put it in front of more people's faces, in a in a way. And so we we have a culture that is caught up with um, productivity in a physical fashion. So our natural leaning is to define sloth as a physical laziness, a physical kind of thing, rather than understanding the the motive behind it. Because lust and adultery are physical things, but Jesus didn't say, you know, you can have all the naughty thoughts in your head you want as long as you don't do the thing. Mm. It's like, no, there's there's a reason why we have issue with people who who are either wrapped up in or tempted to or outright outspoken pedophiles, pedophilia. It's the thoughts. It's the temptation. It's it's the desires. It's not not the actions, though the actions are bad. If if you can understand that the thoughts and the desires are bad, then you can get it at the root. A couple things I want to, um, man, uh, thank you. There, there are a couple things that just even in, in, in that, that I'm like, okay, I want to hit this. I want to hit this. I want to hit this. Um, that I think you're, you're absolutely right. In our today's context, we have that post industrial mindset of it's, it's what you do. It's, it's a physical thing. Um, but in my, my reading, um, originally, right. Evagrius looked at it as a, as a spiritual thing, uh, we um, in one of our couch confessions episode, I, I mentioned um, how he talked about it as the noonday demon. He called he he likened these vices or these thoughts to demons, um, and so he talks about it as the noonday demon. And and the way he describes it is because their whole sect of uh, monasticism was staying out in these desert huts and uh, contemplating spiritual things. Um, writing, uh, reading, developing themselves spiritually so that they could pass on this knowledge and, and things like that. And so it was a, a lot of physical stillness, but there was a lot of other things going on, a lot of spiritual movement happening. And so the way he described this noonday demon was it tempted him to flee and go be productive in other places, go out and get an actual job that can support you know, or go out and do things that are more profitable or, you know, hey, you can worship God in nature. So go out, take a walk, just do something. So it was tempting him to leave this this area of intentional spiritual focus to go do something. Um, the one of the shifts that started to get it to be more of a physical laziness is his student Cassian, who um, Evagrius's monastic tradition was very uh isolated, very individualistic, um, and they would have the monastic community, but a lot of what you did was spent alone. Cassian, his monastic tradition was more communal living. And so when you talk about sloth in that circumstances, uh, in that circumstance, and you're, you're working in a commune of other monks, it presents itself as not doing the work to love your your brother well, to not do the daily cha- tasks required of you to live together in harmony. And so it becomes more of a physical laziness there, even though Cassian himself still viewed it the same way. But when he wrote about it, 
a lot of what he had to say was physical because they're they're in a community living. And so when you're stricken with sloth, it's I don't want to do the work needed to love my brother well, to love my neighbor well, to do what needs to be done. And so it becomes uh, a little bit more warped into that idea of laziness. Um, but it's still that idea of avoiding, right? Avoiding what actually needs to be done, what is actually productive in our lives. Um, it's, there's there's an intertwining of the two. Um, a lot of people tend to, whenever you get into to actually thinking about this kind of thing, a lot of people tend to debate whether sloth or... Um, Acadia or Tristitia, whether whether it's necessary to take it as a physical or a spiritual, um, and, and which one we should use, when in reality it's a both and most of the time. Uh, there's definitely reason not to be lazy physically. Um, there's there's type two diabetes. There's uh, obesity. Uh, it, I mean, there's a lot of movements going on right now trying to, to say things where obesity is not a problem. Um, well, I'm sorry to break it to you. I have several family members who are overweight, and they have health issues as a result of that. Uh, there's no getting around it. And so physically, if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't move, if you don't do something, then you're going to naturally end up having issues. You're going to have health issues. And then spiritually, you can see the opposite, and people tend to not recognize the spiritual as much because that's not as tangible to most people. That's not something that people immediately recognize. But like what I was saying before, with the thoughts before actions, where Jesus uh, is saying, your, your thoughts of a woman, your thoughts of somebody, if you hate your brother, then you've murdered him in your heart. Uh, the the issue is both and. If you are able to recognize the issues in your heart and through prayer, supplication, discipleship with your brothers in Christ and reading scripture and then trying to do something about it, practicing the opposite of what your heart is saying, then you're able to correct your heart. You're able to become more sanctified, uh, which we all want to be. So it's not that the spiritual is more important, but that the spiritual comes before the physical. You're hitting on uh, something that is, it comes up in, uh, of all things, Dante's Inferno. Mm -hmm. uh, not really the Inferno, Inferno but uh, Purgatorio, and uh, the middle book. Uh, yep. of the divine comedy and you know the whole thing about dante is we have so much uh what i would call um what was it superstitious myth mm -hmm. uh that comes from uh you know this this it's actually a great work of literature um but it, it's it has a point and all of that and so the we would get lost in the artistry and miss uh, really a lot of the other beauty of it that uh, what he's doing there is a work of art that has some kind of religious side to it, but it's not necessarily in and of itself a canonical or accurate thing. It's a, it's the work of art. Mm. Uh, but in the middle of uh, 
Purgatorio. I think it's Canto. Uh, uh, they say eighteen, but it's seventeen in my version. Uh, he comes across this fourth circle of uh, purgatory uh, called the slothful, and, and it's it's interesting that okay, slothful for being for being a a vice or a deadly sin. Uh, Dante doesn't put it in hell; he puts it in purgatory, mm-hmm. and he is, you know, making a, a the commentary that okay, these people who did not uh, do something, uh, they they're on this terrace, they're and they're kind of running around, and because they were so lazy <laughs> and slothful, uh, they're what they have to do now is they have to run across this terrace basically with a lot of zeal and fervor, shouting, you know, slothful things, you know, kind of what they did uh, against it. And uh, he is saying that you know these we're we're trying to make up for these uh, vices by shouting virtues. We're trying to change our hearts to one day be accepted into heaven. Um, I mean, that all of that is a bunch of hooey, but uh, it's meant to teach us that, okay, how do you change these behaviors? There's still a chance for you to turn around. What do you do with this? How do you change slothful behavior? And that's, you have to stop looking at these vices and you have to fight them with these virtues. You have to change your entire way that you approach life, you have to change essentially your mindset and your lifestyle in order to counteract this uh, because it is like a black hole. It will just suck you in and keep you there. And I I think it's very fascinating that he he puts this in there to say, okay, they now have to run around and basically do the exact opposite in order to shake them out of it. Hmm. I want to get to um, that how do we fix it? But I, I want to explore this. You, you use that word black hole. Um, and I think this is important too, because it's interesting, right? He, he puts it in purgatory. So obviously he, he thinks of it as not quite as strong of a vice as say, uh, wrath or lust or greed or anything like that. But that word black hole, right? I think, I think that, being slothful is extremely dangerous. I think, uh, and Thomas, you and I talked about this a little bit earlier this week, but I think it's up there with pride as, as, as a potential root of, of these. I mean, if we look at pride, if we accept that pride is the kind of chief, the general of these, these, uh, vices, the queen of the vices, um, if sloth isn't actually the queen, isn't actually the chieftain of these vices, it's a number two, I I would say. Um, and I think it's because that idea of a black hole, like it sucks you in and it leads to all these other vices or it can. Um, it is a refusal to change. It is a willing refusal to do the work that is required of you uh, as a believer. Um, and, I mean, just to, 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 to make a quick note on something you had said earlier, Thomas, was um, if you're struck with, with this vice of sloth, you're, you know, and you're, you're one of those who, who fill it with busyness, so you're on, the lazy, or you're on the busy side of sloth, 
you are avoiding that spiritual change. You're avoiding that growth. You're avoiding that hard work by filling your life. And then when you have a moment to try and rest, you can't even do that because it drives you mad. You can't you can't keep your earbuds out of your head because that's going to cause you to actually think about what's wrong. It causes you to actually have to consider maybe <laughs> maybe I'm doing this wrong and you don't want to face that. It's it's avoiding and and so you can't rest. You can't truly rest because that puts you in a state of confronting I am not who I need to be. I need to do something to change and I d- I don't want to do that. Can consider this well, um, j- Go ahead, Rob. I was going to say, just uh, you, you mentioned the person who has to have their you know earbuds in their head and they're constantly listening to something. Now, I mean, not that I don't love my music and, and take it everywhere with me, but what you're referring to there is this person is actively avoiding dealing with their yeah. own thoughts. Exactly. And uh, so it, it's you, you wonder why everyone says all of their great ideas has come to them while they're in the shower. Well, that's a place where <laughs> you you you, you kind of have to take the earbuds out. Although you know, my wife got me a nice little shower plug on, so I can just plug the music into the shower. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's things happen while you're in the bathroom on the toilet. It's the only places where you have mental peace because the rest of your life has been so structured with all of this other noise, and you wonder why you go and you live night and try to go to sleep and all of a sudden you can't sleep because your brain is racing 100 miles an hour and that's because you haven't allowed time to process it in the day yeah and we have people who who and i mean i i'm one of them um i love my bob ross he helps me fall asleep but um we have people (laughs) who now cannot go to sleep i mean i can go to sleep without bob ross i don't like to but i can um but but we have people who will not, who has to have music on to go to sleep, who has to have the TV on, who cannot turn the TV off before they go to sleep yeah. because it's noise and they need it's, that noise. Let me give, give another example. I play a lot of disc golf, and I, I'm trying to be somewhat, somewhat competent with that to be able to play in tournaments. Um, who knows what level I can get to with that, but... Um, there are people who will wear, and I think this is in ball golf too, but it's more strictly regulated than than with disc golf. But there are people who will wear disc golf is regulated. Yes, there's there's <laughs> some degree it, actually. I, I honestly did not know that. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry. They they have a full on professional league. The Las Vegas Challenge is uh, is currently being wrapped up today, if I'm not mistaken, with the final round. It's not even on the Ocho. It's like on legitimate. Yes, networks. there's several players who have sponsorships through um, companies that manufacture discs and those who manufacture other goods and other things, and they have multi million dollar contracts. Man, I need to apologize to the youth pastors. <laughs> <laughs> um, apology taken, but there's oh, not you. Uh, well, I okay. He doesn't care about hurting your feelings. Anyway, hey, thank you. Sorry, I've derailed this long you're, enough. Continue. You're good. <laughs> but it's it's there's guys that go out there and play, and they straight up will not remove their earbuds if they're in a tournament or if they're doing something. Because like, oh man, I can't focus without without my music playing while I'm while I'm out there. I'm like. If, if you seriously lack the ability to go out and compete to be able to do something competently and at least be 
effective moderately at, at what you claim to practice and to spend most of your life doing. And you can't do that without having music, having something to occupy your mind, then you lack the discipline to be able to truly be successful. Mm -hmm. And that's, please don't take this the wrong way if any of you are, because there's some people who who enjoy it and they like it and it helps them focus. I'm not saying that you can't be successful and have that, but if you get that taken away and you can't be successful and you lose the ability to be able to compete all of a sudden, then you have an issue there, and that gets at what you're you're bringing up, Jonathan, with this idea that we have to constantly be consumed because we don't have the discipline to be able to to act out the things that are necessary, the valuable things in our lives, whether that's something simple, um, recreation, disc golf, where you just need to focus to be able to throw the shot right and ignore the squirrel that ran across in front of you, or if it's making sure you focus on saying the correct thing to your wife or whether you're counseling somebody and you need to make sure that you're quiet enough and you don't say too much or whatever it is. There's so many different ways to where discipline is necessary in so many different facets. And if we need a crutch to help us do that, then what happens when that crutch breaks? There's, there's, there's so much here and I mean, I, I, the more we talk about it, the more I'm convinced that this is such a, a pervasive thing. I, I'll be honest. I know this isn't couch confessions. I'll, I'll confess. This is like this is one of the the vices that rack me the most, right? I, I, I often have an issue with getting that internal motivation to do the work that I need to get done, um, and a practical level, a spiritual level. There are so many times where I, I really have to fight to say that, no, this is what's important. You've got to do it. Even if it's hard, it's harder not to do it. It'll be harder in the long run not to do this thing. And I I, I see that in a lot of people's lives. When I, just thinking through, there are so many people that I know, um, and, then, and then just our culture as Americans, who are afraid to to really do the work of of growing themselves of of taking those steps spiritually speaking or practically or like in a relationship or something to do what is absolutely necessary to move forward in life and they're just we're so consumed by so many things by media by television by entertainment by music by social media we're consumed by all these distractions and we've gotten to that point because we don't want to do the work that's required of us, the work to be a human being, to be a follower of Christ, to be who we're meant to be. We're, we're just overloading ourselves with all this nonsense that we don't need. Maybe some of it's good. Maybe there are good things that we're doing, but they're not the best thing. And we are consuming ourselves with that so that we avoid the truly hard work of changing and growing into who we need to be. I have heard a term uh, somewhere else, and they were, they were basically referring to our media, calling things pseudo-events. As in, you, you look at a 24-hour news station, and there's a certain point where, yeah, they're creating, they, they start 
creating the news because they need something to fill the void because they, there's not interesting things actually happening. Mm-hmm. So they pretend like something's interesting and cover it as if it's news. And it said half the time they're covering themselves of, well, there is an announcement supposed to come out tomorrow. So we're going to, you know, tell you about the announcement so that you know the announcement before the announcement. And you go, this isn't like, I look at this and I go, this isn't news. This isn't anything interesting. And if you look, most of the stuff in our society, it's just filled with this stuff that is a pseudo event. It's not actually anything that you really should be concerned or focused about, but somebody's trying to convince you that it needs to take up brain space and you need to be concerned about it. I want to confront this this idea of sloth being um, co-equal or superior to uh, pride in in its um i guess in its its negative effect um consider consider this if you find someone who is um prone to to slothfulness uh, imagine somebody who is in their comfortable place and who is where they are or they're in their routine they're in their habit uh, both sides of the coin here, either doing nothing or having their schedule being fulfilled like normal and taking up all the time that they plan to take up. What happens when the the lazy person is asked to do something? They get ticked off. I can tell you um, it's a trope, it's a joke. As soon as you sit down, someone calls your name. As soon That's as you sit worst. down, your mom asks you, can you take the trash out? You get you get ticked off. I mean, yeah. it's frustrating. You're like, I was about to sit I down. I just sat down. Mm-hmm. And then what the other person say, they're on their route back home. Or they're in the middle of trying to get a task done. This is also me. Um, someone comes up to them and either causes you to be inefficient or causes you to have to go slower. Or you have to wait to even do the thing that you want to. Someone cuts you off. You get stuck at a light that you wouldn't have gotten stuck at if you had the person in front of you actually go when the light turned green to begin with. (laughs) So you have all of these things. And so it promotes you to anger, wrath. Like I said, you get aggravated. Um, You get a temptation towards doing things that are not necessarily good things. You, You want to fill your time with something. So you see filling your time through means of lust and, um, adultery you're just like i need to do something and so you end up getting whatever kind of temptation you're just like oh that's something to do let's go and do it uh or the the lazy person and that person not doing anything and then their eye gets caught by the next hardy's commercial uh and all of a sudden that unravels (laughs) into something it could be be lust or gluttony you've seen those commercials gluttony too yeah every time a couch potato usually is made up of what they eat it's just eating a bag of chips while they're sitting there gluttony happens and when you're moving around all the time people who travel a lot truck drivers they're working all the time but they eat a ton of fast food and they don't have any kind of limits some of them are really good but a lot of truck drivers i've met they're not in the best shape in the world um and round is a shape (laughs) <laughs> yes it is you're you're correct 360 degrees of a shape um yeah, but don't attack me <laughs> <laughs> there was no point i wasn't making a point at you but it's i can i can continue to illustrate the the other sins here but out of 
all of the sins to struggle with primarily, uh, I would not choose sloth. Because if you come into resting in a habit of acedia or tristitia, uh, tr- uh, then you will be vulnerable to everything else that will come at you, even the things that you may not have a leaning towards being vulnerable to in the idea of seven deadly sins. So it's it's like when Rome began getting to its peak and everyone got comfortable. And so what happened? Military all of a sudden wasn't as important. They were telling the stories of old victories to be able to prop themselves up as great. Um, they were nitpicking at each other and fighting. Yep. Politicians were no longer looking to be able to serve the people well. They were looking to be able to become comfortable and to take care of what was theirs. So the economy would be affected negatively from that. Um, People were no longer expected to be uh, productive in good ways, not overproductive. And so they began looking towards means of overeating and gluttony and... um, all other kinds of debaucherous things, filling their time with things that are not productive or useful. Uh, the family falls apart because, you know, there's plenty of families. Those people have kids. That'll be the next generation. I don't need to have kids. I don't need to commit to anything. I don't need to have structure. I don't need to, to, to find value myself. And so all of a sudden, this very strong, stable country all of a sudden crumbles essentially overnight compared to how long it existed beforehand because they lost all recognition of what was valuable because they allowed themselves to become comfortable and to fall into sloth. And this is the modern day U.S.? <laughs> I figured you would make the point about that. Yes, I was. <laughs> I hope those of you who are listening can make those connections before Rob had to even make that connection because that's that's what we're going through right now. I mean, our, our yeah, I'm slow on the uptake, so if I catch it, <laughs> you use that word comfortable, and that I mean that really is it. Whatever is comfortable, that's the route we're gonna take. We those who are slothful don't fight against the current yep. path of least resistance. That's that's it. <laughs> they are not salmon. Yeah, mm-hmm. you you had mentioned you had mentioned the uh, the seven deadly uh, the uh, the movie seven and the, the depiction of sloth in seven. But you remember the depiction of sloth in um, in uh, uh, Full Metal Alchemist? Yeah, yeah. He's a freight train. He is a jack dude. He's the biggest, the biggest character uh, in that, and he's this immovable object. Um, he's he's a titan. Like you would not expect this depiction of sloth, and I think they yeah. really hit on something in that as an anime, right? Who's not necessarily steeped. They're in They're not religious... even Western either. Like yeah. they don't like they don't have the heavy influence of this idea or thought. They don't right. have heavy Catholic roots over there, right? And so, but they depict sloth as this as a juggernaut, right? X Men juggernaut, juggernaut, right? You cannot stop him once he gets going. He's not stopping. He, it's that path of least resistance. And so when we have that in our life, when we're in a situation that is comfortable, we're going to go towards that, you know, in relationships, right? Um, that idea of, of it leading to lust and adultery. It takes work to love your wife well, to sacrifice for your wife, to change who you are, 
to 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 be a better husband, right? But that lady next door, she doesn't want you to change. She likes you just how you are, and that's easy, right? Doing in that that could be applied to so many situations in our life. Cooking a good healthy meal and sacrificing overeating, going out and doing your groceries and, and getting something that's that's actually going to be beneficial to your life, that's tough. That's tough. That takes extra effort. Now, it takes effort to get out into your car and drive down to Hardee's, but it takes a little bit less effort than just um, than, than actually cooking a meal. And it's going to cost you financially more to go get fast food, but the effort is going to be different, um, and it's going to be a routine that you're comfortable with, and so it's going to lead to these other things. So that, that word comfortable, that's, that's really what it is. You're kind of hitting on the fact that it seems that sloth out of all of the others seems more like a magnet for the other, uh, you know, vices to come in and just be run rampant. Yeah. Uh, because either you don't have the willpower or you don't want the willpower to get up and to do the effort to get it, or you're so distracted, you don't see it. Your defenses are not up. Yep. And so they, they just invite themselves in and play havoc on your life. Yep, it's it's the red carpet that lays out the path for all the other vices to follow. Um, it, it, it literally is, is doing the opposite of what we think sloth to be, uh, this, this, uh, segues really nicely though. There's an idea called flow state that I've done a lot of looking into and I've personally experienced in a couple different fashions and flow state began in the surfing community and it is best understood as you being in the most optimal zone in which you have to physically and intentionally process, you have to intentionally think about what actions you're going to take, and you're challenged enough to where you're not being understimulated, to where you're not bored of what you're doing. Uh, and this connects into this, and I'll explain. When we are understanding that we have certain things and practices that we need to do. Um, for us, spiritually, as Christians, sacraments are one of those things. Um, prayer is one of those things. Meeting with other believers is one of those things. Reading scripture is also one of those things. When we do those things and we work on them and we get scripture understood in our heart and we have knowledge and memorization of it and we have the wisdom and applicability of life um, being implemented from all of that that we've done, then we have prepared ourselves to be able to have the knowledge and capacity for doing the actions that we need to be able to do. Uh, think of it as any top-level athlete or any stand-up comedian or any body who is going into an environment where it is not going to be the same exact thing every time they go out there. You may have a game plan, but that doesn't mean there's not a heckler. That doesn't mean they don't have a new defense to throw at you. That you, you always have to have something to be able to work around what's going to come in front of you. Uh, and athletically, that's more my thing. So I can remember playing basketball in high school um, before I got hurt. And 
whenever we got into a, a, a game with a team who was um, either slightly better or around our strength competitively, I would find myself getting to a point where I, honest to God, could not hear anybody around me until there was a timeout or something. Uh, I wouldn't hear the crowd. I wouldn't hear the other team. I wouldn't have anything to to recognize except for what was most important in the moment, playing the game. And those were my best games that I ever had because I was in the zone, essentially, to where I was only acting upon the things that were most important. Mm. There was a gap, I threw the pass. There was an opening, I took the shot. There was a cut, so I went and covered. It... When I was doing those things, it wasn't because I was naturally gifted, but because I trained myself and I practiced and I gave myself the skill sets to be able to be ready for when those opportunities came. I had enough stamina to be able to run as much as I needed to. I was able to handle the ball and to be able to see and understand the defense. And for us as Christians, when we have all the things I mentioned before with scripture and prayer and sacrament and understanding, um, you can add in knowing the culture and knowing the people who you're going to be interacting with. When you understand that enough and you've practiced enough and you've prayed enough and you have your spiritual grounding, then when you go out there and go into those things, you don't have to worry about, oh, should I have passed it or should I have shot it? Should I do this or should I do that? Because it's in those instances that you all of a sudden don't act and then something happens and you don't even have a chance to make a reaction to it because you stopped and thought about it rather than having the actionable ability to it. So with sloth, here's the connection. With sloth, we are setting ourselves up to not even have a chance of operating at a modicum of, of acceptable levels in our environments that we're going into every day. And usually we know exactly what environment we're going into. We're not going to have a new defense coming at us. We're not going to have a, a heckler in the crowd saying something to us. We're going to have the same people saying the same things, the same arguments being given to us, the same um, tactics being used day in and day out. But because we don't study, we don't pray, we don't uh, have discussion like we're having right now with each other. We're not doing these things, and so we're not prepared to be able to just understand what's going on, and then we just act on it. Because when you don't know those things, then you're too worried about trying to understand the situation rather than being able to act upon the situation. There's, a, there's an interesting connection here. In that moment of flow state, it's this interesting contrast because life is about balance. The opposite of of sloth is is a bad thing. Rest is a good thing. Going with the flow is often a bad thing, but being in that flow state is a good thing. Being comfortable isn't necessarily bad, and and being a Christian isn't necessarily all effort and energy, but there is energy, there is discipline involved, there is hard work to be done. But when we have done that, 
we get to reap that benefit of being in the moment, being in the flow, being able to react to the situations that we have and being able to work in an optimal situation. Christ says, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. That's because he bears the weight. He's the one who gives us that that will, that drive in us. It's his spirit in us that, that gives us the strength, gives us the ability uh, and the desire, the ability and the desire to do what Christ has called us to do. But that doesn't mean that there's not still work for us to do, that we're not still supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So it's this both and of there is effort, there is energy, there is discipline that is required, but ultimately it's the Holy Spirit in us that works so that when we're in those moments, we don't have to worry about what we're going to say or what we're going to do because the Holy Spirit will give us those words, Mm -hmm. um, will give us that ability, will give us that, but it takes practice beforehand. You couldn't have gone into those flow state moments in basketball if you had not done that work beforehand. But in that moment, I bet that was one of the most freeing, one of the most enjoyable things that you've experienced. Um, I know me, I mean, this has happened to me as a musician uh, before, um, but I don't really hang my hat on being a, the, the best of musicians. I didn't always have the best discipline in practicing. Uh, but I can I know many more times uh, preaching or, or teaching where that has happened to me, where I've done that hard work of learning, of understanding, of preparation. Um, and then in the moment, I it's not work. It's it comes uh, just kind of outflows. And I'm sure, Rob, you can share some experience with, about that, too. But yeah, you, you get off stage and you're not sure quite what what you did. And I know, Thomas, you've talked about that before, too. Yeah. Where you get but up, you know, you're tired. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's 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 weird when you when you go up and speak, whether it's a sermon or or teaching or something else. And you get you get caught up in in the Holy Spirit. Uh, speaking through you, you're like, I don't have a clue what I said. And people come up and say, dude, that word you had to say, I'm just like, what I'm word? glad you liked it because I don't know what I said. Did did we record this? Because I need to see what I said. <laughs> I just, like, Dang, oh. that came out of my mouth? Okay. I need to play that back. Well, when you're up there and you're all of a sudden like, yeah, that came out of my mouth, that was a good point. I need to stop and take notes on that. That was good. <laughs> it's uh, the Holy Spirit talking and, and moving yeah, that, that had nothing to do but with you. And, <laughs> and it's the Holy Spirit can do works whether or not you're prepared. Yes. But when you diligently prepare yourself, then you are You're not going, an obstacle. Yeah, you're you're going to to be more often having those experiences and, and being able to be most productive. Cause I can use a really cruddy wrench to be able to do a job. But if I have a brand new, clean, or I have an old wrench that was just taken care of and it's not rusty and I don't have to do a bunch of stuff with it to make it work, well, guess what? The one that's taken care of is going to be a whole lot more useful and successful. And that's similar with us. The more that we're taking care of ourselves and pursuing discipline and avoiding sloth, then we're going to naturally be a more usable, useful tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. My parents... Uh, used to have, and they might still have it up, uh, used to have a little plaque in our house growing up that was just sitting on the wall. And all it said was, uh, plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Mm. Mm. I like it. Um, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I, uh, 
I uh, uh, Facebook reminded me of a, a quote that I, I, I shared. I mean, years ago, um, it's from uh, Doctor Doctor David Jeremiah, and it uh, was, uh, "Plan like it all depends on you, but pray like it all depends on God." And it's that that balancing act of you got to do the work, mm-hmm. but also the Holy Spirit does the work. It's a complicated thing, um, but it's essential. So, well, I, I've just noticed personally that uh, whatever skills you might have developed in your life that you think are useless, the Lord's going to find a way to use them. Nothing is waste. And so, the more prepared and equipped you are for just about anything, the more He is going to be able to use through you. And so, it's not that He's not going to use you it changes how he uses you. So before we get into some practical ways to avoid sloth or to, uh, to remove sloth from our life, um, was there anything that we left on the table? Was there anything, anything in, in the research, anything in your reading, um, anything that has come up in this discussion that we want to, we'd be remiss if we didn't say, you know, was there anything we left on the table um, yeah, I know I've got a good bit of notes here. I'm not going to go through all those, but just, just wanted to give that opportunity before we kind of wrap up with more practical application here. Um, I'll, Thomas Aquinas said, is, is quoted in his, uh, Summa Theologica, um, his summary of theology saying a version of the divine good in us, um, in mm. his description yes. of sloth. Um, That's how he describes it, Uh, and that gets to an idea that I found to be part of the reason that I'm I'm now finding sloth to be more deadly than, than pride is, because if you lack the ability to recognize that which is valuable, if you have an aversion to the divine good in yourself or others, then you are going to have no care at all for defending anything because you don't recognize the value in it. Um, And so we, as Christians, will naturally have a far more um, condemning feeling, a far more uh, conscious sense about us whenever we are in a position where we know our lack of of effort in a situation is wrong. Mm. Um, there, there is a reason why most people say if they see someone getting beat up and they have the ability to do something that they're going to go and step in. Now it's ignorant if you're a tiny little, little person and you see two six foot eight men beating someone else up. Do you have much of a chance of doing anything unless you stop Steve Rogers? Nope. But Steve Rogers was superhuman, so... Not at the time. Well, actually... Oh, no, when he was... Yeah, that's actually, right. Actually, actually, um, his... Listed as one of his superpowers is his morality. Yeah. So he was superhuman prior to getting uh, that serum, so he did have a superhuman sense of morality. Okay, enough... Just enough. being a nerd there, just had to throw that in. <laughs> okay, fanboys. Anyway, it's... You, you can recognize that there's there's situations where you should act, but, but it's it gets at this yeah. root where if if you are suffering with sloth, 
then you are not suffering with just laziness. You are suffering with uh, acknowledging what is good. Mm. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. That was something that that um, that quote is an aversion to the divine goodness. And and going back to our two fields of, of discussion with pride, um, with an excess of pride or a lack of love, you know, looking at the vices through those lens, it's really what it is. With pride, you know, we've talked about it. It's like not wanting to change who you are, not wanting to do what you need to do, not wanting to be who you need to be. But with with a lack of love, you're right. It's I don't see the value in who I am, right? I don't see the value in who God has made me to be. I don't see it enough to actually do something about it. But also, I don't see it in other people. I don't I don't care enough about other people. I don't love enough people enough to put myself out of my own way. And and to let me put it this way, it's First Corinthians thirteen. These three remain: faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these being love. God Himself is defined as love. And if we understand our theology properly um, and recognize God in the correct fashion, that He is eternal and that He is prior to all that existed, and He is good. He has no evil in Him. He has no darkness in Him. If we were to recognize that, and He is associated directly with what we would call love, then love is the ultimate good. Because what are we expected to do as Christians? To love our neighbor as ourselves and love God, and love our enemies. God, Jesus took it even further, saying love our enemies. So, to, to have a lack in recognizing good means that you don't recognize God. You don't recognize love. And that's going to get into a lot of my thoughts and the application of, of this. Well, I, I think one of the things that you're really hitting on here is uh, I, I, the first time I came across it was uh, surprisingly in a book uh, I think it was titled Soul Cravings by Erwin McManus. Mm. And uh, one of the theories he kind of you know, pushes out there is, uh, you know, well, here, here's a question. What is the opposite of love? Apathy. Mm. Yeah. It's not hate because hate means that you care enough to, you know, to, to go after something. Yep. And so you do care. You, you love something. It's just you either had love went wrong somewhere. Love, you know, something happened to spurn that love or to reject that love to, to create some kind of retribution or some kind of anger and, and hatred within you. And, and the hatred comes because love exists. But apathy, it truly says, I don't care. I don't love. I, I don't even hate you. I just, you're not worth it. Mm. And so apathy really, truly, like sloth, it, you have just completely disconnected from all emotion, all everything, and just said, whatever. Mm. And that's a, that's the most terrifying place to be in. Yep. Because what, what power does love have when <laughs> you, you just have completely disconnected yourself from everything? Yeah. I think this this flows naturally into how do we fix it? Um, how do we how do we fix sloth? Um, one of the the quotes that uh, I've got here, and I can't remember who who uh, who said it. Um, okay, here's the quote. The slothful are inwardly unwilling to be moved. They are stuck between a self they cannot bear 
and a self they cannot bear to become. And so it's this, it's this trap. There, there's an unwillingness to do anything, but you have to do something to get out of it. I think most people, if they're suffering from sloth, if they have, I mean, if they're avoiding it with, you know, filling it, their life with noise, um, I think inwardly they know something's wrong. I think deep down, maybe they haven't consciously said it in a while. Maybe they've become so numb that they can't remember it. But at some point, they acknowledge the fact that they don't like who they are. They have that moment where they lift their head up um, and, and look in the mirror and they say, this, this isn't right. You know, we talk about midlife crises and stuff like that, where you have that conflict of what even am I uh, anymore? Where you have that, you, you surface from that, that drowning in, in, in sloth. You, you finally come up to take a breath and you realize this this isn't right but you you don't have the motivation to do anything anymore you've 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 cut that part out of yourself you've you've numbed yourself to it and so you you can't bear to be who you are but you can't bear to to do the work to become who you need to be and so there's this trap and how do we how do we get out of it? How do we, how do we escape that trap? I think in order to, to, to know personally how we should be able to escape this trap, we have to understand what kind of trap we're in. And if this is an idea in which we are apathetic to love, we are apathetic to God, to, to truth, then what we're saying is is that we believe in one of two worldviews, and that is naturalism or postmodernism. Postmodernism is simply a means to try and and make something out of nothing because you're going to end up at nihilism. Nothing means anything. Who cares? We're all going to die. Um, you get to the point to where suicide starts to become something that is reasonable when you get into nihilism. Um, the ponderings of that being begun in the idea of naturalism, which is there is nothing but the physical world. So people who actually believe in sloth as a virtue will see no value in anything. And I think of this in modern culture in a way to, 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 to see it. We have a, a two terms, one that used to be more negative, one is a vagabond. Uh, that tends to be viewed more positively today, at least less negatively. Fancifully. Yeah. And the other one is a, um, what was it I told you? the It's enjoying going place to place, wanderlust. Yeah, wanderlust. So, so wanderlust and vagabond are, are very um, malleable terms now. They go together very well. Uh, people tend to use them in in association with each other. And these lifestyles match up very well with the life of sloth. Uh, I have a quote from Evagrius here that was put into the book Glittering Vices. And it reads, A light breeze bends a feeble plant. A fantasy about a trip away drags off a person overcome with acedia. And 
he's he's this is going back to when you were describing it, Jonathan, as to his experience in monasticism and how it was very isolated, very solitary. And he's speaking of this temptation to turn your back on your spiritual discipline and to simply let the wind take you where it will and find your thrills and find your your things. And to make a specific application, uh, if you're out dating or you're just browsing the market, uh, you want you want to get married, you want to find somebody, you want to at least see what's on the shelf. You want to see what's available. Uh, well, when you're doing that, something to keep in mind, if marriage and potentially a family is on your mind, then someone who lacks commitment is definitely someone you don't want to have. So a precursor that, that you could find, and I've experienced this with someone who I dated, is that if you find someone who idolizes or fantasizes over the idea of wanderlust and the idea of um, uh, being, you know, a vagabond. There's a, there's a guy in Roman era back when Alexander the Great was the emperor. His name is Diogenes, and he was known as the guy who first held up sloth as a virtue. He lived homeless on the streets, out of a barrel. He was often depicted in paintings and such, living in a barrel uh, with dogs and other such. And he would make quips. He was Think of him as like a, a, a more liberal uh, Ben Shapiro, essentially. You know, poning, poning everybody, <laughs> even, even Alexander the Great even, because when Alexander the Great... More came, liberal. Yeah. <laughs> It's he, Alexander the Great, came to him asking him, he's like, I'll give you whatever you want if you can share some of your wisdom. And he's just like, eh, just get out of my light. You're ruining my suntan. <laughs> and and uh, apparently Alexander learned learned something from that. I don't know. Uh, but it's, it's if you see someone in your, in your operation of finding someone to date or in your dating of someone trying to find a spouse, and you see someone who leans towards this vagabond lifestyle of, you know, not taking care of responsibilities well and enjoying this idea of just road tripping and going to all these different things and not wanting to tie down to kind anything. Of a flightiness. Or, yeah. Yeah. And it's, the thing is, is that's very attractive. Mm-hmm. Like to certain people, that's a very attractive thing and it's fun when, yeah, especially when you're younger. being tied down to a place, yeah. always moving, always Adventure. Changing, yeah. Uh, what's next? You you get wrapped up in it, but then we once things it, start yeah. to get serious and you start to think about, oh, I want to actually, you know, have a relationship with you. Well, how are we going to take care of each other? And I'm not saying you can't have a lifestyle where you live out of a camper and you go here and there, but for a lot of people, that's not possible. And you need to be able to set some kind of roots in in somewhere. And so, if you find someone like that, then you should avoid or you should investigate specifically into that because those people tend not to commit and not to be reliable because they they lack commitment and they lack responsibility uh but this this philosophical idea here that um sloth in its action in its worldview in its practicality is the belief that there is no value outside of what you create Mm. And you must be at work to to have any value at all because 
you don't recognize the good of any kind of objective truth. You just recognize what makes you feel good. You just recognize, oh, this is comfortable, or, oh, this keeps me busy. Because uh, one way or the other, both people are going to end up at the end of the road dying at some point. Mm. Well, I think even, like, you want to recognize it in yourself, right? If you have these these desires, these temptations, if you've deceived yourself, and again, there's nothing wrong with adventure, there's nothing wrong with traveling, yeah, yeah. But if you've deceived yourself, and it's it's really a lack of commitment that you're avoiding, a lack of dedication to a thing... You need to recognize that in yourself, but even not even just as, as a dating thing, see see who see who's in your friend group in your circle of influence that is uh, that's doing this. Um, see who's in your sphere. So not even just from a dating perspective, but who's in your sphere um, who is influencing you to have these these desires, these these fantasies. Um, because we we don't ever live in isolation, um, so you might not have these per se, but those who are around you have these these ideas or these tendencies, and that's gonna affect who you are, right? Hey, so right before um, Rob had to jump out of the call, his mic had started getting really staticky, but he was he was tying. Uh, what Thomas had said, what Thomas and I had said, um, and, and giving a, a very strong uh, warning how it uh, applies to marriage, um, and so I wanted to preserve that that comment, that warning that he he, he finished out with, um, but unfortunately, just the audio quality wasn't there. So I'm going to uh, just uh, read off what he had said. So just kind of imagine it coming from Rob and not me. And uh, and for the married people, you you talk about midlife crisis or all this, people in their marriage, they sit there and start compromising their marriage because they start having these fantasies. Well, if if I was not in this situation with all this, these things that are tying me down, and and basically they're having some issues or, or some problems that they don't want to deal with. They get into some ordeal where they say, "Well, well, this isn't working, and I'm I'm kind of bored," and they're looking for all these other options because instead of dealing with the issues that they need to deal with and just sludging through and doing the work, which which is really the only way out of this, you do the work. They find some reason to check out, and they and they try to do something that will free them of this responsibility, and really it ends up being nice for a short little while, uh, and and then it turns into a complete nightmare. It doesn't last. A lot of people have made gigantic mistakes because they're following fancy and whim. And, and don't do that. Don't wreck your marriage because you're going through a really rough patch. Thank you for that, Rob. Uh, I know you got to go. Um, so I appreciate you. Uh, and we'll catch you on the next one. We'll go ahead and let you go. Uh, and then Thomas and I will, will wrap this up. But thank you, Rob. Yep. See you guys. See you. Rob, Rob just gave a, gave a really good point. I don't know if it's going to be able to make it or if it's going to have to be rephrased, but I have a very good segue um, with that off of the final words that Rebecca DeYoung put in her book, Glittering Vices, on the chapter of um, Sloth. And it says, we need a school of stability. Uh, and she's referencing the, the um, desert monks. 
back around when uh, the people that Evagrius was with. We need a school of stability. Love flourishes in the context of daily deeds and consistency in our commitments, while Acadia arises in context of conveniently easy escape. As one prayerfully uh, petitioner, as one prayerful petitioner put it, "Forgive me for letting love die when it demands action in order to live." As the desert fathers knew, when Acadia oppresses. We must stay the course, resisting the temptation to flee in mind or in body. In the face of love's demands, Acedia wants the easy way out. Um, I, I think that's really well put to say that this is not something that you can work your way up to accruing enough interest in your, in your um, sloth account to be able to keep it from coming back. But... I will say that it does get easier. Um, it's never not going to be hard, but the hardest step is the first step. Um, people who take the journey to becoming more um, in shape, who are who are very obese. I'm sure a lot of people have seen Biggest Loser and other shows similar to it. Uh, the hardest days are not the ones in the middle or towards the end. It's the days in the very beginning. But once they start to get into a habit and they start to accept this life of, okay, this is what I have to do. This is what I'm going to do. And when you practice doing the things that you're, you're, you're trying to become, then you actually start to become those things. Mm. When you practice loving people, then you start to love people. Mm. It's, it, it doesn't make sense. But when you start doing it, it starts to make sense. If you really have an issue with a coworker or with a family member or with somebody or with whatever situation, try and get to the point where you're in that situation and remind yourself, oh, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to, so I'm going to try. Someone cuts you off. At first, just try not to cuss them out. Mm -hmm. And then next time, try and not even think anything about it. Mm -hmm. Take a deep breath. Um, I have a hard time with that, but this this sin of sloth is not something that we can think will go away if we just ignore it. Uh, we can't be passive with with this type of thing. This is something where if you don't use it, you will lose it. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, going back to to Rob's point and. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll try to, to work that in as best we can if, if I have to re-record it or something. Um, this idea of marriage, you know, you see this a lot in, in couples counseling, is if a couple is just doesn't feel the love, it doesn't matter um, what they're counseled to do is still say, I love you, still go through the motions, still do the hard work, still go out, and go out to dinner, go out on dates, still kiss, still, still have physical contact and intimacy there um, as a means to, to, to work through it. Because it's, it's not about the feeling. Often you won't feel it. Often you, you've gotten to a point where you feel numb about so many things. Um, and so it's no longer about do I feel it or not. It's what am I what am I choosing to do, um, and you've got to practice that. You've got to stick it out. You've got to develop perseverance to sit to sit in that uncomfortable situation, to endure 
the pain of discipline until it becomes a natural part of who you are. Um, and so that's, that's, that's definitely one um, solution there or one, one way out of the vice is just perseverance in the daily discipline that we have to have. I think the other one um, that has to be because, again, sloth has lost a lot of that internal motivation, has lost that internal drive. Um, there's a lack of willpower to do what you have to do. And so you've got to seek out, you got to seek external. And so if you're having issues with sloth of, of falling into this vice, seek help because you don't have it in you to overcome it. Uh, you don't feel the way you need to feel. You don't feel the love, the value. You don't see those things uh, anymore. And so get people around you who do, who will push you to do what you need to do. You know, exercise is a great example of this. It's a great analogy for this. If you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to become disciplined in your physical, in, in your physical state, the best way to do that is to find other people to go to the gym with. That's the, the best motivation is to go with somebody else. And so in the same way, this spiritual issue, this deep spiritual issue of sloth, if you're trying to develop the discipline needed to overcome it, to be the, the Christ follower that you're designed to be, don't do it alone. Find other people who will motivate you because you don't have that internal motivation anymore. So find some people to be external motivators for you to help you get out of it. Last thing I want to say is, is just remember, again, it's the Holy Spirit in you that gives you the, the will, the ability, and the desire um, to do that which He's called you to do. Um, before we get into our shout-outs and just our normal... Um, Hey, go check this out. I want to uh, end with this verse, and, and you heard it in, in Couch Confessions, but I'll, I just want to reiterate it here as well. It's from Hebrews 12, 11. And it says this, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It is hard to overcome these things. And maybe sloth isn't your particular vice. Maybe it's something else. But it's still going to take discipline to overcome it. It's still going to take training to overcome it. Uh, and that training will be painful. And it won't be enjoyful, enjoyable. But if we're consistent with it, it will ye yield the peaceful fruit, that righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit in us. Um, and that's what we desire. So, a uh, quick shout out. We've got um, two new listeners who just started here recently, uh, Mylene and Marion. Uh, shout out to you guys. Thank you for listening. Um, I want you to catch up, but uh, yeah, go ahead and start with this episode and then, then back your way through, <laughs> through our catalog. Um, yeah, I don't know if you're listening either, Malfoy, but I'll just put your name out there in case. I don't want you to feel left out. But if you're not listening, you should feel left out. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, to all of our, our listeners, thank you so much for, for supporting us, for, uh, for joining along, um, share it with your friends. Again, this, this whole life is not done in a bubble, not done in isolation. We've got to have community. Um, and, and, uh, what better place to start a community than through our podcast, right? Um, so please do that. That'd be awesome. Share it with your friends, share it with your family. Um, get working on these things together, right? Get working on these vices together. Um, as always, you can uh, reach us in general at uh, blhstudios21 at gmail. You can also go on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter um, at blheretics uh, or our YouTube page, um, Borderline Heretics Studios there. And there are some new episodes uh, slowly trickling in there where we're taking short snippets of the Couch Confessions and the Borderline Heretics podcast, we're putting some, some B-real footage behind them. Um, and just some bite, bite-sized little things. And that, that's a great thing to share with somebody, right? Maybe they don't have time to sit down for 45-minute, 30, 45-minute, uh, hour-and-a-half recording, but maybe you can share them uh, just one of these snippets or two just to get them interested in what we do here on the Borderline Heretic Studios. Uh, Thomas, you got some uh, links to share, uh, throw out with people. Yeah, you can find me at thomastheheretic.com. Uh, at gmail.com send me some information there i'm in the works of getting an instagram and twitter going under the same handle so have a lookout for that as well i'll start trying to get some some postings going and and doing some tags and stuff like that on the regular um yeah that's it yeah we've got uh hopefully if we can get our ducks in a row and we're not um foiled by this vice of sloth we've got a couple shows hopefully uh, going to be starting up by the end of this quarter, maybe sometime in the next quarter. Um, but we're we're looking to do that to expand our studios um, in that regard. Um, so, oh, before we before we wrap up, uh, let's pick out our next vice. All right. Oh, I can't do that. You got to pick it out. I saw. I saw. I saw the top one. Lust, all right. Spicy. Woo-hoo. Yeah, as soon as I opened it, I saw I saw just a little bit of a G there. I'm like, I can't be trusted. I can't be trusted. I gotta I gotta I gotta pass it off. Uh, cool. So next vice we're talking about is lust. So be sure to check in on that one. Well, um, thank you guys again, and uh, remember, pour one out for Jesus. See you next time.